morning family grace and joy to you so glad to see you on today will you bow with me for a word of prayer our father and our God thank you so much for another opportunity to gather together under the authority of your word thank you for what you're doing in our lives for even when we can't feel you you're working even when we can't see it you're working you're a miracle worker a promise keeper a light in the darkness, that is who you are. And we praise your name for that today. Would you open our eyes and our ears now as we read your word, speak to us. Remember our feet are but clay, forgive us of our sins and we will give you the honor, the glory and the praise. In Jesus name we pray, amen. Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five family verse 27 through 32, we pick up in our uh, Bible reading as we walk through this amazing book. Title of our message today, When Jesus Called Levi. When Jesus Called Levi. Verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and he saw a publican, that's a tax collector, whose name was Levi. He was sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all God's people said, Amen. Family, today when we arrive at the scene in Galilee, the name of Jesus has become a household word. He has healed the sick, cast out devils, preached the word of God, and declared that he was the Messiah sent from heaven to save humanity. Now it's the first year of his earthly ministry and many call this the year of popularity. Crowds are following him and everybody is clamoring to receive his words. Now while that's good, opposition is mounting also. Opposition that questions everything he does and everything he says. These opposers are called Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. They were the modern day religious leaders who did not believe that Jesus was the visible image 
of the invisible God. Earlier in the chapter, if you'll remember our reading and our preaching through this book, we see them corner Jesus, question him, and doubt that Christ has power to forgive sins. Remember the man last week who was let down on a stretcher? And they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? They were mad at Jesus. Well, then Luke now this week turns the chapter for us to show us the next big out of the ordinary thing that Jesus is going to do. Jesus was going to interact with those people who were unpopular, those people who were unwanted, those people who were unappreciated, who were hated by religious leaders. He would even dare to enter into a relationship while being a rabbi with those nobody thought God would save. This was totally unheard of, family. It was countercultural. It was non-traditional. This was frowned upon by those who had established religious rules and regulations for people of faith. That's where our text opens up today. Jesus is at it again. And this time he does what no self-respecting rabbi would ever do. He calls and he hangs out and affiliates with society's most wanted. I got four points I'd like to share with you today on our exegetical journey. And they'll be on the screen here for you. Number one, we want to look at the call of Christ. Number two, we want to look at the community or rather the call of community. Number three, we want to look at the criticism of Christ. And then I'll land the plane talking about the chastening of Christ. They're all four in your text today. So strap in, family. Let's study God's word. Point number one, the calling of Christ. The Bible says in verse 27 and 29, 28, rather, and after these things, he went forth. What things? The things I just talked about when he healed that man in the house. After these things, he went forth again. And he saw a publican whose name was Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. That verse is loaded because the tax collectors or publicans oftentimes collected taxes for Rome. They were Jewish men who worked for a Gentile organization to oppress their own people. Jesus sees this man in the midst of his evil activity and he calls him to be a disciple. And the Bible says in verse 28, and he left all, Levi did, rose up and he followed Jesus. When we come to this portion of the text, you get to see some powerful things, beloved. Jesus is on the move and he sees a man who's hated by society. He's a man with sinful issues and wicked tendencies. He's a tax collector and oppressor of his own people. And when Jesus sees Levi, he sees him in his place of sin. He's working, oppressing people, 
taking from them what he should not have been doing. He was an oppressor of the poor. Now, according to historical records, Levi was the son of a very famous Jewish man whose name was Alphaeus. Levi was a publican, a tax collector who worked in the region of Capernaum. Now, no no respective Jewish father would dare raise a son to become a tax collector. This shows right here the the problem that this father has with his son's occupation. Levi's residence was in Capernaum, and as a tax collector, he was probably a party man. He was a hustler. He was hated among all the Jews because of his occupation, family. Some believe that he was probably a ruthless man who showed no pity or no mercy on his own people. So the call of Christ here in this text is powerful upon his life because the Bible says he left all, jumped up and followed Jesus. Can I stop right here and say something for us family? When we see Levi, I believe the reason why he's able to leave his hustle and his own lifestyle is because of what he had heard about Jesus and what he had saw Jesus already doing in the region of Capernaum. He's hearing the same thing the crowds are hearing. So when this Messiah comes by, and all these people are following him, Levi then makes a choice. Do I keep doing what I'm doing, or is this now time to change my life? The Bible says he jumps up, he leaves it all, and he follows Jesus. Here's what I learned about this right here in this text. When God calls you, it's a supernatural call that will cause you to evaluate where you are and who you are and ultimately decide you got to do something different with your life. Is there anybody here that can remember what that was like when God called you to leave your lifestyle, to leave your old community, to leave your place and the things that you were doing to follow him. I don't know about you, but I can remember where I was when I got that call. I was up to my neck in sin and rebellion against God, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when I heard that call, I had to give up and leave my old lifestyle and homeboys to follow Jesus. There was something attractive. Hey about the voice of God. And I still believe today, I'm off my notes right here, but there ain't nobody more attractive than Jesus. If the church would just give this world Jesus, you would see people following him that never followed him before. You know what I found out? The world don't want our religion. They want our savior. And what they need to see today is the Christ of the scripture and not necessarily the Christ of our traditions. We've looked at the call to Jesus. Let's look now at the call to community. The Bible says in verse 29, after Levi followed him, Levi made him, watch this, 
a great feast. He threw a party in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans, those are tax collectors, and others, the Bible says, that sat down with them. Family, when we come to this next verse, you and I get to see what I call is a pause in the narrative. Something happened in between verse 28 and verse 29. I wasn't there. Luke wasn't there. The writer is silent, so I have to use my sanctified imagination. Do you mind? Can I go there? Levi was so moved by Jesus calling him that he got up and he took his earnings from his hustle and he threw Jesus a party. Now, in evangelism circles, we use this strategy in local churches where we teach churches how to do evangelism and we call them Matthew parties. See, if you want to attract people to come to Jesus, throw a party. Matthew threw a party. Matthew's name is Levi. Levi throws a party. It's an evangelistic outreach to bring all of his other tax collectors and other people to come and meet Jesus. Let me put a plug in for you right here. Evangelism still works. It is still God's agenda for a dark and dying world. Evangelism is the method by which you grow the church and you grow your faith. If you want to get encouraged, you want to be revived, throw some parties and invite people who don't know Jesus to get to know him. Levi throws a party and the Bible says there was a great company. Did you see that there? All of these people who didn't know Christ, who got to come to meet him. What a witness. What a powerful look. Levi is so impressed with Jesus that he wants his community to meet him. <laughs> he, he's no closet follower. No, he wants everybody to know I'm no longer following Caesar. I'm following Jesus. This is the kind of change that came over him. This is the kind of effect that Jesus has on you. This is the kind of impression that the master had left on him. Listen, Levi didn't need anybody to tell him, go and get everybody else and bring them to meet the Messiah. It was instinctive. He wanted people to have what he had. And here's my question to us today. Is there anybody here that can relate to Levi? Remember what it was like when you first came to Jesus? You couldn't wait to tell somebody. You couldn't wait to invite somebody to get to know him. That effect that Christianity had on you. You wanted to share it with everyone that you met. Levi so moved that he had to call his folks to come meet him. And I like this because they respond to the invitation. And here's what I draw from that conclusion. The call to follow Christ is really a call to community. Let me say it this way. The call to fellowship with Jesus is never a call to do it all alone. Now, in North America, we have this 
different philosophy about what it means to follow Christ. We think it's between me, God, myself, and me. That's it. No, but really the Middle Eastern perspective on Christianity is a communal call. When you come to faith in Christ, it's natural for you to bring your whole family, for you to bring your whole tribe, for you to bring your whole community. And that's what you see unfolding in the scriptures. And not only that, we see the ministry of Jesus and what I call its rarest forms. Here you see the Messiah, watch this, stay with me, engaging with sinners, entertaining sinners, evangelizing sinners. He's hanging with the tax collectors, sinners, and the others. He's hanging with society's rejects, the most hated individuals in the community is where Jesus is gathering. What a beautiful picture of our Savior, the Son of God, displaying the mercy of God, the grace of God. He's among the neediest of people. And guess what he's doing? Drawing them unto himself. What a picture of a holy God. A picture of his grace, a picture of his mercy. You don't see Jesus writing people off because of their sins. You don't see Jesus kicking people to the curb because they've got bad behavior. You see him drawing close to those who are broken, who are ostracized, who are sinners, who've been misbehaving. That's the identity of the church. Beloved, don't forget that. Don't forget that. We all need a ministry that will reach out to a person who doesn't have a savior. I used to ask my church in California all the time, how many sinners do you know? I'm not impressed with all of your church friends. How many people do you know this second could be going to hell? How many do you know that don't have an intimate personal relationship with Christ? That's the sign of somebody who's looking to see Jesus say somebody else. Listen, let me say it like this. If you don't know a heathen, go find one. They're on every corner. Jesus, Levi, had this ministry in common. The story is told about a young man named Christopher Searcy. He was playing basketball in his neighborhood when he was shot by a drive-by shooter. The bullet perforated his aorta and his friends desperately tried to help young Christopher. They dragged him to a nearby hospital that was right next door to the park. And when they got him there, one ran inside to try to get the medical staff to come out and help their brother who had just been shot. Unfortunately, the hospital had an administrative policy where they can't go out and help somebody in front of the hospital who's been hurt. So they had to find a, a local security guard police person to get a wheelchair, get the, get the victim in the wheelchair, and roll him inside before they could treat him. Well, I've got, got some bad news, guys, about this story. Christopher didn't make it because every second was important. He died in the emergency room. Why? Because of the policies of the administration. That's just like the church today. 
open to help people who are wounded, but we're really not going to help you until you come inside. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. People all around this school are dying, bleeding to death, and we won't hurt you until you come inside here. Hospital had it wrong. They could have helped save that young man. And many of churches all across North America this morning are open for business, but you got to come inside if you want to be served. I stopped by to tell you today that wasn't Levi's policy. No, Levi went and got the ones who were dying and brought them in to meet Jesus. What's our policy? How will we help those who are bleeding on the roadside of life? How will we help those victims who are caught in human trafficking, those children who are in horrible foster homes, those kids who don't have parents, those babies who are starving just miles from us? What will be our policy? Do they have to come in here? Or can we go find them and bring them to Jesus? We've looked at the call of Christ, at the community of Christ. Let me show you now the criticism of Christ. Verse 30, the Bible says, but their scribes and their Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Let's unpack this. When we come to this portion of the text, a sad commentary emerges on what I call the foolishness of men. Because these religious leaders didn't have eyes to see and hearts to understand, they accused Jesus and his disciples of eating with sinners. What a pity. You see, they could have seen God's heart if they had his eyes. They could have seen his generosity if they only had his hands. They could have seen God's desire if they only had his concern for the depravity of man. In other words, they wrote these people off because they couldn't see a Jewish rabbi teaching tax collectors and sinners. They wrote them off because they were sinners and they assumed that no holy man would have anything to do with people who were oppressing their own kind. These tax collectors were written off by the religious leaders because the religious leaders didn't think God had love for them too. I stopped by to tell us today on my way to heaven, listen, we got to be careful about our criticism of people. We've got to be careful about our criticism of other cultures. We got to be careful about our attitudes in ministry we may be ignoring the very one that the Lord is interested in saving and serving. This is the work of the kingdom of God. Isaac Murray tells the story of how a dog was hitched to a lawnmower while a little boy was trying to mow his yard. A passerby was coming up. And the boy, pushing the mower, being pulled by the dog, working in the yard, stopped 
because the dog started barking at the person who was passing by. The person passing by looked and the boy said, oh, don't mind the dog. He's just looking for an excuse to rest. <laughs> uh, that was funny when I read it. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> he says, the dog really didn't want to pull the mower. So anytime he got a chance, he would stop and bark at whatever the issue was. And I thought about something. That's just like the church today. That's just like us. We would rather stop and bark instead of continue the work that God has called us to do. Let me say it this way. Instead of serving the culture, we'll bark from the sidelines. You don't believe me? Just look at Twitter. Look at Facebook. Look at YouTube. We do all the barking at the culture instead of serving the culture. We'd rather bark instead of serve. We've looked at the calling of Christ, the call of community, the critique of Christ. Let's look now at the chastening of Christ. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. Verse 31. And Jesus answering, he said to those Pharisees and Sadducees, they that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Family, thank you for listening this morning. Thank you for hearing this challenge and this charge for us as a body of believers. But when we come to this portion of the text, we get to see what I call is the chastening of Christ. Jesus used two powerful quotes in this verse today. He gives his opposition the definition of his ministry in the earth. Jesus says, people who are sick, or rather who are not sick, there it is, don't need a doctor. But people who are sick are the ones who need a doctor. Wow, that was a clear statement to say I didn't come for those who don't need me. But I came for those people who know they have a need for God in their life. Secondly, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the word righteous here, he's using to denote people who have imposed their own righteousness. You know, people who believe they're better than others. People who believe they don't really need salvation or Christ. That's who he's talking about here. He was going, when he came to earth, to be about calling people. And here's what I noticed. He's calling everybody except those who don't need him. Jesus' ministry was going to be about calling sinners like those who were at the party, sinners who had a need for salvation, sinners who had a need to be saved, sinners who were in need of a savior. Thirdly, Jesus asked, he was gonna be calling these sinners to do something. He was going to be calling them to repent. Listen to this, beloved, this is beautiful. In his call to follow him, 
is a call to repent. What, what, is, what, what is repentance? Angelus, repentance is a turning from self. A turning from self and sin and rebellion against God. It's not a 360 degree turn. Because that puts you right back where you were. It's a 180 degree turn. And that comes with the call to follow Jesus. Let me say it this way. If I was teaching at the Cove in North Carolina, I would tell them this. When you call people to follow Christ, call them to leave everything they are in. It's a repentance. It's a turning away. Jesus never calls you to bring your, your sins with you. He always calls you to forsake the things you are currently doing to follow him. That's what a disciple means. It's a follower of Christ. I like this because Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous active person who thinks they've never sinned, but I've called the ones who know they're far from me and they're in need of a savior. Beloved, as we're sharing the gospel, as we continue to pray in our midweek studies for God to grow the church and do the wonderful things, make sure we never forget to pray that God give us a deep longing for you. Give us a passion for you. Never let us get comfortable in our walk with you. We have to keep yearning for more of him. We should always be in a position and a posture where we desire more of Jesus than we do of anything else. What I like about this text is that sinners are in the best position in the world because they're in a position to be blessed by the Savior in the presence of God. Well, I got to leave you now. But what a word from Jesus. What a statement. What a mission. What a declaration. As we read Luke's gospel, the stage is being set for Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's clear now for us who he's focused on reaching. So as we, as we leave this passage this morning, let's remember the mission of Christ, the call of Christ, the chastening of Christ. He chastens the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes because they judged and rejected those he came to save. So let's remember his words as we go forth from here. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. God came to call the unqualified. That's how I made it in. I haven't had the privilege to tell you my story, but here I go. I hope you don't judge me. When I got saved at a young age, I was incarcerated for a drive-by shooting. I'm a former gang member from Los Angeles, California. And when God saved me, he saved me while I was guilty in serving a sentence. But the power of the gospel came into my life while I was incarcerated. And when the light of Jesus Christ shone in my cell, I was totally transformed. Now, I know you might say, well, what happened to this man's parents? My father was a pastor. My mom was a woman of God and a leader in the church. I had heard the gospel. I had been around church folk, but I wasn't impressed. It wasn't until I met Jesus for myself that my life was changed. And let me tell you something. After that 18-month sentence, I came home totally different. 
I came home set on fire for God. And that same gospel that transformed me, I've been preaching on various continents all over this world. Not because it's prestigious or not because it's just my career choice. It's because Jesus saved me. And I was one of those men that Levi had invited to his house. And I don't know about you, but the same gospel that saved me, I know still saves today. And so as an unqualified man, I'm preaching a qualified gospel to unqualified people, to anybody who will listen at any place, any time, any culture, any cul-de-sac, any community that's looking for a savior. Because my king is worthy to be saved. And there's no Nobody like him. There's nobody like him, RCC. I said, there's nobody like him. He can take a gang member and make him a preacher. He can take a woman of the street and make her a beautiful woman of God. He can take a liar, a thief, a drug addict, a good outstanding citizen and make them a leader in God's ministry. God is working in the earth. And he's choosing to work through his church. I'm closing, but that's why Calvary matters. That's why the cross matters. Because this same Jesus, in order to reconcile us back into a right relationship with the holy God, he died on a Friday, took your sins and my sins upon himself, was crucified to pay your debt. He died when it should have been you and I paying for our sins. They took his body down and they put him in a borrowed tomb and inside of the grave, he took the sting out of death and victory over the grave so the grave couldn't keep you. And he rose early Sunday morning with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. That's how powerful he is. Waymaker. Beautiful savior. That is who he is. I'm closing. I was thinking about you as I was writing this message this week. And the lyrics of these songs came to me. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all and all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. The last verse of that song says this, And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, and my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all and all to him. I owe sin that left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. And all God's people said, Amen.